Welcome to the Return to the Forgotten Path podcast. Join us on this journey to travel to a forgotten pathway that leads to rest and restoration. This podcast is a weekly Bible study of this week's Torah portion, known as a Parsha. It's a weekly reading according to the Jewish annual Torah cycle. Every week, we will have a discussion filled with both historical and cultural viewpoints as it pertains to the return to the forgotten path that is increasingly happening all around the world. We will review and share opinions from the weekly Torah, also known as the five first books of the Bible or the Mosaic Law. We will also do readings from the Hafsorah and the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament readings. For those who ask, what is the forgotten path? Jeremiah 6.16 puts it like this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Our podcast seeks to point our listeners to that ancient old path through the study of the Bible from the perspective of the Torah, which is properly translated as instructions. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. Amen. This week's Torah portion is Bo. Bo is translated as enter or come. The title comes from the first words of the first verse of the reading, which say, Then the Lord said to Moses, come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. The portion begins by concluding the narrative of the 10 plagues, the 10th of which is the slaying of the firstborn. To avoid the plague, the Israelites are given the instructions for the Passover sacrifice and the laws of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Pharaoh finally consents to let Israel go and they leave Egypt. The reading from this 12 portion comes from Exodus chapter 10, verse 1 through chapter 13, verse 16. The Haftarah portion is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 46, verses 13 through 28. And the gospel is from the book of John, chapter 19, verses 31 through 37. And the Brit Hadashah's um, secondary readings as well, if you're following through the Hebrew for Christians website, is Luke 22, verses 7 through 30, and 1 Corinthians 11, verses 20 through 34. The blessing before the Torah study. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of the Torah. Amen. This begins the reading of this week's Torah portion. Exodus 10, verses 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go in to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them 
that you may know that I am Lord. So herein begins our study. How would you like to uh, conduct this discussion today? I guess we'll go from topic to topic and talk through your thoughts on each of them. Okay, so overall, from your study on the Parshat, uh, Parshat Bo, uh, what were your standouts? Like what specifically stood out to you during this week's study that you would like to share? Um, the biggest thing is just for me, just seeing how those different situations that came up were all different ways that God tries to get our attention when we need to get back in line in what he's instructed us to do or to listen to what he's trying to say. So for example, I saw the locusts as God allowing for the destruction of our crops or the money in our accounts or the work of our hands. Sometimes we wonder, why did we lose that job? Why did this happen? Why did we get this unexpected expense? Why did this situation occur? Sometimes it's not uh, I'm out to get you as much as I'm trying to get your attention to come back around. And when everything that you thought in your savings account and refrigerator was going to be the answer to all your problems and it wasn't, you're forced to come back around full circle and say, okay, Back to where it all began, Lord, what should I be doing now? Okay. Same thing with darkness. When nothing else looks like it's a answer, a sign, a way out, you're forced to sit there and seek the true light. The Passover, I always see as a, just a way to get back into line. It's not anything that we do in our own physical, mental, smart brain, strong muscle self, but it's all through what God works through us. And we tend to forget that with our physical, mental abilities, but we really don't do a whole lot in and of ourselves. We can lie to ourselves, but if you really dig deep at the root of it all, we don't give ourselves even the next breath. So how much more of I did this, can we really give ourselves credit for? So you're absolutely right. And this week, my study kind of centered around the plagues, but the from the plagues perspective, I think what um, I think last time that we met, we went through like each of the plagues and what that must have been like and then Pharaoh's response to the to 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 Moses and to Aaron specifically more so to God um when each of the plagues uh hit the Egyptians and hit Egypt and how that must have been a a very troubling um, age or time uh, for the Egyptians who were um, directly impacted by the, the plague, the more so um, the coldness of the leadership from Pharaoh towards the, that level of impact um, in his obstinance. 
And I think one of the things that started uh, my study last week was that obstinance, although the scripture that says, you know, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, and the, the question that is often posed during the whole entire episode of God hardening his heart is then he, did he really have a choice? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, you know, there is a few different uh, common sayings that come to mind. Number one is um, one that's found from the scriptures that are, is often translated. Um, it, it is a, it's a, it's a, it is a, and I'm missing the, ver- the, the adverb here, uh, a difficult thing, a hard thing for man to stand before an angry God. Um, and the, the second to that is, do, are we really agents of choice? You know, are we more nurture and nature than nature? You know, is it more so that our choices have been set up for us? And was the hardening more so as it is translated by the rabbis, a strengthening of his heart or his fortitude so that he didn't break. That's what specifically is um, often given as the meaning behind God heart and, and you know his heart is that God strengthens it instead of making him obstinate per se, meaning he is choosing um, Pharaoh's response to the, the stimuli. He's giving him strength so that he would, didn't break. So the, another way of looking at this is the reason that the plagues took as long as they did, and we discussed that last time, is that they took a year, is that he gave him respite in, in between of each of these plagues so that he could renew his conviction, so to speak. Whereas if they truthfully were coming one upon each other, maybe that would have been you know, shattering, emotionally, mentally, spiritually shattering. But by not allowing all of the plagues specifically to hit Egypt and the people of Egypt and Pharaoh specifically, God is strengthening the resolve of the people to allow what they believe and what their choices are to be more pronounced. And so the thing that sticks out to me about this is, and I said this to you this week, which is when you know that God is doing something, it's different than when you actively experience it for yourself. Meaning like Moses was told that I am going to deliver Israel. I am going to, I I'm going to be God. I'm going to, and we shared all about that and the meaning of his name. But the act of being God's representative in this scenario and for each one of the plagues that are coming into fruition as a result of what God is showcasing, he's delivering Israel from uh, all the gods and showing himself to be the true God of all God, um, if there even is even in such a term, um, he is literally giving us a 
clear indication or a clear representation that there is something emotionally shaking to being in the hand of God, an angry God. The emotional impact of it, unless God allows the hardening, unless God allows the resolve to be restrengthened, it can be literally shattering. And even when you see the beginning words for this Torah portion, Bo, which means come, he's speaking to Moses as the leader, as the agent for bringing these plagues upon the people of Egypt and upon um, destroying the imagery of these foreign or these fake pseudo gods, um, a, an action that said, as one person um, said, he had to literally beckon um, uh, Moses to come into the inner chamber of Pharaoh this time. Can you imagine even though your resolve is strengthened, what it must have been like, because he's telling him, I'm standing next to Pharaoh and I want you to come to him where I'm standing right now. That's when he called Moses, he's saying, come, but he's telling him to come where I'm standing because I've just re-strengthened this. I re-strengthened his resolve. Now's the time to come speak to him. Now's the time that the, the table has sort of been, you know, so to speak, been set for what's about to really come down the pike. And I, I see it from the perspective of not only what transpired in Egypt, but what is happening here on earth with us. Like for 2000 plus years, we've been looking for the Messiah. We've been waiting for um, deliverance to come. And we know that because of the scriptures, we know that there is going to be a time of the end and we know that this time of the end is going to have troubles that have never been seen on the earth. We know this because God has already given us a prophetic word regarding that this is to come. But as agents of his light in this world, I do see how often he has to beckon us to come and complete the work. Um, come and fulfill the call to give notice to the world that I am the true God. And I think that was the beginning uh, cusp of, is this really a choice for, for um, uh, Pharaoh? As much as it seems more of a choice from the perspective of uh, Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel, because it seems that God has given them a means to know you know, this is about to happen. And whereas for them, for, you know, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, I don't think he fully knows what's really going on. You know, I think choice is really the atmosphere of knowing that you have two opposing, you know, options. So Moses and Aaron, and even the children of Israel to a degree, have more choice than Pharaoh in this perspective. And so the the underlying question for me and what I began to ponder and I hope to um, discuss today is what is freedom of choice and how is that being made manifest in our world as we are nearing these end times and what the, what the book of Revelation has declared will happen 
within the, the scope of the earth. And although we pray for leniency, you know, um, just as we do not glorify the plagues that, and, that hit Egypt during the Passover Seder, so still we recognize that the devastation of what those things felt like to Egypt, it's, it must have also had an impact and an emotional impact to those who God was using as the agents or the, the people that he was delivering as well. So that, that is where my study began for this week. All right, so with freedom of choice, how are you wishing to go down this path of ideology? Well, no, I can go down um, this particular perspective. Um, it's not necessarily ideology as much as it is understanding the framework by which we are crafted because when we look out at the world, oftentimes we tend to perceive that, you know, whatever has been taught to us or told to us is the reality or is the truth by which we judge our paradigm, that we judge the circumstances of our life. Um, I remember when COVID first hit, the first few weeks of, of what to do and what not to do, a lot of discussion was had based on the paradigms that we were coming from. And that's the reason why it sounded like straight chaos, because if you came from a certain perspective or paradigm, it sounded completely logical to do one thing over another. Whereas for others, whatever they heard in the news, um, even if it differed from one week to the next week to the next week, that paradigm seemingly was completely logical and could not be questioned. And so, the idea um, perspective, uh, uh, and the belief system that we as a people are agents of free choice is really um, a, a thing that is limited to those who operate more under the guidance of Hashem than it is for a lot of people that are operating within the scope of just being agents of what has been, what has transpired. That's why one of our limitations in trying to educate somebody is not knowing where the blockage is or the short, uh, the, the short, uh, uh, shortened experiences or maybe the, the, the lack of experience is causing a gap of learning or, uh, um, is disconnecting the material for somebody because you don't know necessarily where in the experience and in the mental um, fortitude it is the neural pathway connecting and disconnecting or just has not connected the material that we're trying to share to the mind's ability to interpret the information that's being um, sent to us. So as much as you're I know that that sounded very complicated, but really it's not. Every aspect of what we are as human beings really is part of a bigger picture. And that bigger picture is a paradigm that can either have a divine perspective, meaning God is giving us information so that we can understand it from a different per, you know, purview, 
or we're going to be completely limited to whatever we've heard, nurtured, um, experienced, lived, or have been passed down even genetically um, in like epigenetics. You know, those things have become much more real to many of us. And that is a limiting factor to why some of our experiences don't seem to just traverse um, the, the, the globe with just commonality. And that's the benefit of the spiritual experiences that there is some core commonalities to the spirit that helps to connect to a human being regardless of their life's trajectory or their life experiment, because there is a core element to us that helps to inform, digest, and connect um, unlike anything else. And for that reason, if I was to take a topic similar to what we're discussing today, which is really huge from my perspective, this idea of freedom of choice, and just drill it down to its, its easiest elements. The easiest element for me is with God, you get a perspective to something that is supernatural in, in a sense, and that does provide information and a, and a purview of options that are not always common. And the spiritual perspective to this is that in the New Testament, you have the, the scripture that says spiritual things are spiritually discerned. That's what it's talking about. Whereas the natural man considers it to be foolishness, but this spiritual experience, meaning this, this purview that you can connect to that is coming from God, that is giving you a different understanding and different knowledge and different light on a situation um, is completely transformative in terms of the options and the choices that we now have available to us. So my question to you is, did Pharaoh really have any other choice but to act the way that he did uh, from your perspective as we read what's going on with each of the last um, three plays? You always have a choice. Uh, you always have a choice. You just may have to realize that not every choice is beneficial. Like for example, to use something unrelated to this conversation, you have a car, you have the choice to drive it along the road that's paved, or you can make a hard turn into an unpaved area or into a light pole, for example. The choice is always there. You're in control of the vehicle. However, are those other options really beneficial? And so when you look at Pharaoh and you go, okay, I serve as the king of this entire nation. If I sit there and I acquiesce to this other leader, that tells the other people that I'm not the God I said I was. This other entity, DT, is the real deal and I've been playing God. 
is he ready to say that and give everything else up? Is he sure that by letting the free labor, for lack of a better word, leave, is that gonna be the best economic thing for the country? Once they all go, are they coming back and then who's gonna do the work while they're gone? All of that may have been what's in his mind besides the spiritual aspect of, you know, who was he fighting with? You always have a choice. You just have to decide which solution is gonna do the greater good. That's my perspective. And it is a common perspective um, that is still, you know, honestly, it's like one of those questions that do, they're constantly um, arguing the differences between what is freedom of choice and and freedom from choice or freedom of choice. And then there is a difference between the two. For example, we tend to believe in America that we have freedom of religion. Um, and some people would possibly say that, you know, that is not the case because a lot of our laws per se are based on um, religious or scriptural ideologies. So do we really have freedom of or freedom from, you know, which one is it that we're really choosing to define our perspectives? And so in the same light, the freedom of choice that is happening here can still be questioned because God is outlining to through this whole entire you know paradigm that's or this particular example in history, what freedom of choice really looks like when you're operating outside the will of God. And the reason I'm not going to go into like the, the particulars which you know sociologists, psychologists, and I'm talking about, you, you name the, the bright brains of our, our world at, that have argued this particular question for generations have, can go very deep into. Um, I'm not arguing that perspective, but I'm gonna say it's limited choice. Outside of God, it's limited because when we disconnected from God in the garden by virtue of our sin, our understanding of what was possible became darkened. And so in light of that, there is this um, disconnect in our, even in our physical brain that does not fully perceive all that is really happening in and around us and to us. So to, to that level, there is a, a lack of awareness to many things. You know, there's, there's um, when you compare a, a dog, for example, and you say a dog has, can't see colors, for example, this is what it, it, the scientists taught us, dogs can't see colors, but they have its heightened perception in terms of things that their sight can see, like spiritually their sight can see certain things, animals can perceive certain things that our physical eyes cannot see, um, or their hearing is very heightened, there are certain colors that there's certain animals that can perceive in, in all of its array. And in that way, that's where the limitation of being darkened or disconnected from Hashem is a limiting of freedom of choice. And that lack of awareness does not cause 
Pharaoh or anyone else for that matter to have, but so much to choose from. And so when I read the scripture, chapter 10, I have not gone, we haven't gone past chapter 10, just going into um, Pharaoh, it's scripture saying, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, this is what he put in Moses and Aaron's mouth to say to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? And so in essence, um, Moses and Aaron just gave the choice. Um, that's what I'm trying to say. It seems to me when God hardened his heart, it's like, what else do I do? And that's what he, he can literally be it's shut up in his chamber thinking, is there anything else for me to do? <laughs> and to that level, I'm also trying to explain, you know, it is echoed by Pharaoh's servants in, in itself because Pharaoh's servants then come along and say, how long will this man be, a, this is verse seven, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? Again, it seems to me by the fact that it's recorded, it seems that Pharaoh must not have had full understanding that that really was the two choices because it, it had to come at him in so many different aspects of voice. Like, don't you understand? Don't you? The, uh, that's what I'm going to. The awareness of the choice that that's what he should be choosing was not very apparent, I think, from every single time that he interacted with God. And especially in light of the prior week where he says with some lucidity of mind that, you know, the Lord is righteous. It is Pharaoh and his people that are wicked, you know? It's something connected, some awareness was perceived that was not there before. To that level again, so that when the, 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 this plague is now, uh, the locust is now sent out, it, it, it also triggers again within Pharaoh that same exact thing. He says, he calls in um, Aaron and Moses after this plague of uh, the locust and in verse 16, he hastily says, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. And he, they went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord turned the, the locusts away. And it, it seems to me that when you hear again in verse 20, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go, it was incumbent upon again what he was perceiving as what turned it what what turned this tide again for me was it me beckoning or me giving charge or was it you know the awareness that oh that was my choice all along I could have always chosen to renege on what I would do I could have always chosen and it seems to me that he never in in any aspect of what he asked Moses and Aaron to do, and, and we talked about this um, two weeks ago, well, last week specifically about how these um, plagues kind of mirror each other. He never, he never once said, I'm gonna let the people go. You see where it says in verse 16, he, he pleads for the plague to be turned, but that he didn't plead and say, I repent. You know, there was no plea of repentance or a plea of, 
okay, I now see that this, my choice is what brought on this whole entire thing. He's just pleading for, you know, his desired outcome. It's no different from his perspective per se than when he goes before any of his foreign gods. Oh, it's like your God. But since it's your God, I need you to go and talk to your God so that, you know, the, uh, my, my, my pleadings, my desires can be heard. So you do that. He needs to hear I've sinned, then just tell him I've sinned, you know? And so let it be, because this happened before now. This is the second time that this has now happened that I've, I've pleaded ignorance that it was any choice of my own or this is happening to my people. But if I plead the ignorance again of sin, then I know that it has happened before and that forgiveness alleviated this problem. I'm going to do that again. So to me, it's like, okay, again, are, are, is that really choice or is he, has he learned from the prior um, look, you know, prior plague that, oh, that alleviated it. So let me try that again. Is that, is that freedom of choice when you just keep on trying the same old tricks and thinking that, okay, this will ultimately yield a different you know, response? Or is he literally telling you this is what he thinks his choices are? And even though people have said, hey, the choice really is to let them go, he's not understanding that. He's not understanding that that is a choice. That is what's causing this. Even though that's literally the exact words <laughs> that they come in and say every single time. Let the people go. Let them serve their God or he's going to do that. And he still doesn't see it as a choice. And that's what I'm, I'm perceiving. And in as much as your, our um, human experience says that that is a choice, it is a choice that you have to be um, connected to, to ultimately change from. So an example is, you know, how often do we do things in our own um, spirit or our mind, even though we, where we possibly perceive that this is not going to work out for us, but we keep doing it anyway, because we feel that there is no other choice. The, the, the motivation on the inside of us is so loud that the thing that you're talking about is, and it's so foreign, I don't know how to operate that way. I only know this. <laughs> I fully am aware and perceive this to be the only way for me to operate. And the more you tell me of this, this other thing, my natural mind and my natural inclination still can't perceive that that's an option. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get that. So in essence, freedom of choice is highly dependent on the awareness that you have of additional options. It's the awareness that those additional options are not just, um, uh, what's, I shouldn't say possible, but that they are possible for you. Okay. And um, and this is a lot of a lot of this is coming through. Yes, the study, but I did do a um, a, a, a short um, Jewish Learning Institute um, women's course that was held by Y Y Jacobson last week on the Parshat Bo, and he was talking about this same topic of the freedom of choice, and he says that for those of us who are connected to Hashem. Um, by virtue of his Torah, th there is a 
space between stimuli and response, which is, you know, this is the stimulus that's happening here. And this is the response that I am inclined to, you know, move towards that when you're connected through Hashem, his purview gives you this thing in Hebrew that's called, or even maybe Yiddish, I don't know specifically, he called it Das. And I understood what he was talking about. He says that space that ultimately says, oh, oh, there's another option here outside of what I am inclined, naturally inclined to operate in. Really that Das is what oftentimes transforms Formed our human experience into things that are beyond our understanding. Like, you know, great is our peace, says the scripture, you know, because, you know, great is the peace of my children for they have been taught of the Lord. That, that teaching that I, it's not just hearing about God, but it's like that thing that you've in, in, you know, put inside of your children ultimately creates a space, excuse me, where there is a there's a disconnect with the stimuli of the world that says, wait a second, but there's more options here. Right. Wait a second, you don't have to respond that way. Um, and it's the same stimuli that Pharaoh is going through and most of the people in the world that are naturally minded are often triggered in stimulus, but then respond with the natural inclinations, which we already know that the the evil inclination of mankind um, is always tends to destructivity or destructiveness. That's oftentimes we just tend to say that, well, that's the human experience. That's what it normally wants us to do. That's what, if you feed that dragon long enough, you feed that, you know, whatever, that voice long enough, that thing becomes so strong that the stimuli response removes the space called das. So the awareness, and that's what das is from his explanation was that the awareness that there was other choices, he's hearing it every single time they come, but he's been such, so conditioned that his only re re uh, response to that stimuli is to maintain. It doesn't matter. I'm going to maintain. All right. So with all of that being said, with everything that you've been thinking about, with Pharaoh's awareness of other options and his understanding of what was really being asked of him, even though it sounds like it's right there in plain sight, let these people go or else. He didn't really have choice because he didn't really understand everything that was available to him as an opportunity to say yes or no to. Um, I, I can't say he does not have choice, but I'm going back to the right words that are often questioned, which is freedom of choice. And whereas his will, he has a freedom of choosing, his will was not resolved and no one will you know, force will. I think the will, the freedom of our will is more a correct way of really phrasing what we call freedom of choice. 
we have a freedom within our will to do as we will, um, which is not really as much choice as we often perceive choice to be. For example, um, you know, there is many an opportunity, you know, um, experience within the, the history of mankind that there's been um, very tragic circumstances that have conspired uh, to cause harm, both mentally or spiritually to a group of people. You know, our physical DNA says that we're of African descent, for example. Um, and so obviously, if you're not on the continent and have bore the trauma of colonization, or if you're within the diaspora and you were um, children of the transcontinental slavery, a lot of the things that we have experienced and inherited over these, you know, generations, one would not say we've chosen the, this experience, so to speak, you know what I'm saying? We haven't chosen the baggage that sometimes is inherited to us and passed down as a mindset. Um, but what we have in this day and age that our, maybe our parents did not have in their day and age is an understanding of choices of how to deal with the stimuli of that tragedy. Does that make sense? Whereas for maybe my parents' generation, that may have been completely a foreign thought. For example, you know, the coddling and the nurturing of children for many people that were um, traumatized due to that mindset, we did not know how to do anything more than just feed our children and try to protect them. We didn't know how to nurture them. We didn't know how to feed or educate their mind, body, and spirit. We didn't know what that meant. And although we may have perceived or seen it elsewhere in other communities, it was not real choice for us to do that. And it was such a foreign choice that I, if you were to have asked my parents what their experience were underneath their parents, they would be like, I'm doing much better than they did. You know, I'm doing, uh, at least I can feed you. Um, at least I can try to protect you. Whereas my parents could not have offered me even that level. So although we are uh, subjects of freedom of will, oftentimes our choices and our awareness to those choices are very limited based on where we've been. And so the, going back to the Y.Y. Jacobson conversation earlier, he was talking about their, the, the, the triune brain, just like we have a triune spirit, you know, mind, body, spirit, you know, it's experience. This a triune brain where there's like, you know, the amygdala or this, you know, the component of the brain. And I really wanted to um, put this in as well, but that um, stimuli area, which oftentimes is like the base level is called the amygdala. And it is hyper-focused on just safety and sustenance. And oftentimes I remember growing up hearing my parents say that that was the one thing 
that they can operate on. They could operate heavily on that amygdala brain. They knew what it meant to live with that reptilian brain. They understood the, um, the effects of the alarm that that reptilian brain gave in terms of what should I do regarding this stimuli. You know, we, you talked about, you know, fight or flight responses or freezing responses. Oftentimes it's coming from that place in us that says, should I be proactively protecting? Should I be fighting? Should I be, you know, responding in a means to protect my progeny, so to speak, you know? Um, and it's coming from that amygdala brain. Whereas there's another level or a higher level, the amygdala is the most internal component of our brain. And then there's a higher level, which is considered the mammalian brain, which is the, the, the one that produces love and emotions. And if you remember again from, you know, certain generations of men often felt that, you know, the only emotion that they ever could ever express was anger because that anger is really coming from that safety portion, that, that amygdala. It's not necessarily that they have no capacity for emotion, but if you're always operating out of safety and sustenance and protection mode, that's the one that's on. And so you never get to that mammalian side of the brain, which is the love center and the emotional center. So when you're operating in the world and you're, you're feeling disconnected from the things that should bring love and emotion or should cause you to connect on a more, you know, like quote unquote deeper level with maybe like a loved one or with human experience, What's limiting is that mammalian side of your brain that has not necessarily had room for that connection. And then that he goes into the, the higher, the most outer area of the brain, which um, literally has, it's called the frontal lobe and, and, then, and the frontal cortex portion of the brain, which also has the connection to deeper thoughts and words and deeds. And it's the most creative component of the brain and oftentimes what happens with some of us is that we get locked into one of those earlier or deeper areas of the brain and we never get to the most logical um, areas. And so even if we're looking at the brain and its triune function, sometimes we are not fully um, human even because we're still connected only to one component of our experience. We're only connected to the, the one thing in our body that is screaming the loudest or we've experienced the most. And getting to those other areas is where only the hand of a, a, a master potter, the master crafter, the master author can unlock it for us and bring us into deeper understanding and awareness. And so when we declare that, um, you know, he's delivered us and he's redeemed us from darkness, out of darkness into his marvelous light, even for us who are of a different generation that may not have had those same experiences as our forefathers, we too can see where the darkness had become pervasive so much that we didn't see that there was other choices. There, was, there wasn't other, uh, there was always other means, but for us now, we can possibly walk in it, whereas for them, it was never even a possibility.
So that's more so what I, I took from it. And from that, I feel like there's a sense of a compassion, but also not for Pharaoh specifically, but for humanity under the weight of the sin sickness. That's what we as humanity is really, you know, the weight that we're bearing when we don't have a relationship with our creator, we're bearing the weight of a sickness that is limiting us in all of what God really created and crafted to have been the human experience. You know, when he's talking about redeeming us with an outstretched arm, I perceive the outstretched arm not only being the physical one, but what, oh my goodness, could we have been coming up with within our scope of our minds or our human experiences within the scope of our hearts in terms of our interpersonal relationships or within the conducts of government and humanity that we are not fully embracing because of this sickness called sin. This darkness that is per, so pervasive that it's cutting us off from the choices that are more liberated and full. Hmm. That's a very different take than we started on. I, I originally was thinking, okay, did Pharaoh have the ability to say yes or no, let the people go or not? It's now a thought process of, did he have full awareness of the full card deck of opportunities that he could have utilized in his current situation? So, a lot of food for thought for those that like to think. Um, truth, and it's not only for those who like to think, I think it's for us as God's called out representatives in the world. You know, when we go to our pharaohs, and we are saying, let our people go, or we are declaring light in spaces of darkness, we should really be connected to what God has given us, not just the words, because sometimes this is going back to like, what tended to cause um, Moses' hesitancy? It wasn't the lack of being told what was about to happen. It wasn't that he didn't know, it was what we are often not fully embracing as a, our awareness. Our confidence and our awareness need to come under the management of the hand of God in something called faith. By faith, we know. By faith and knowing, if, you know, like I'm going to use D.I. Joe. Knowing is half the battle. You know, you're going to go through this thing. I've told you about it, but the know, the knowledge that he's bringing you into needs to be operated under the hand of faith, which brings a level of confidence for us to walk in the, the season and not to, to faint to look at a situation and to part some red seas, to look at a battle in front of us and to decree a word and, and expect fully that um, restoration and victory is ours. The, what oftentimes happens, and I'll be honest, it, it's as true of not just Pharaoh, as it, it's true of the Israelites, and it's true of the people of God today, 
is that we have foreknowledge, meaning God has already prepared a place or a word for us. And as we're walking out the advance towards, we are timidly doing so because we are lacking the trust. That's what it is, the trusting to fully know, the trusting to fully manifest. And so I, I pray that as we are reading this, that you can also, with that compassion, perceive your limiting factors as well and ask God to provide you the, a spirit of hum, humility. Number one, the spirit of humility to allow him to teach you and to transform you into what he has pre-designed. You know, that's, you know, what is oftentimes not the choice touted by our human experience. It is not the one that we as believers should be operating in, but it is oftentimes the one that we are common to. And people around us would not, you know, they would not fault us for. Continue with that mindset, you know, that's normal. Keep thinking the way you think. That's how I feel too. Hmm. So a lot to think on. This is good stuff. So as we continue to read the rest of the, the plagues and um, you, you're, you can see that the, the requirement to humble yourself is the thing that Pharaoh finally comes to only under the weight of the plagues in the final plague specifically. And so, and this is what brings us to the next um, area for our Torah study, which is the Passover. So remember at the beginning of this Torah portion, the Lord declares something to Moses and he says that you may tell it to your sons and to your grandsons. So before the, the final plague is um, spoken, um, or is threatened then, that's how it's read in um, chapter 11, um, there is already the structure for um, what is going to be the methodology for us to ensure that our children don't have the same experience like Pharaoh in this world. And it is the Passover, and it is the Passover. And what is going on with the Passover that is very um, common to and necessary for the human experience is exactly how it's described in the first few sentences. You shall keep, you shall keep this and you shall tell it. You shall keep this day. You shall bring it up again to your household. You shall teach it amongst your children. You shall maintain this. And I think that is the act of repetition that we tend to sometimes um, diminish as human beings. Oh my goodness, I've already done that before. Oh my goodness, I, I know that. Oh my goodness, I'm, you know, why do I have to hear the same thing over and over again? Why do I have to do this for so many generations? God knows that's why, because if we don't do it, then we are disconnected from his awareness. We are disconnected from the choice we are disconnected and we go back to enslavement. We go back to what we've already been delivered from. 
because we never understood the importance of what was accounted to us in this deliverance. So I'm gonna read just two things. Um, first of all, the, the, the foretelling of the final plague and then the Passover. And then um, if you have any final words in regards to either one, um, feel free to let me and the, the heroes of this podcast hear it. So this is what uh, verse chapter 11, verse two states. Um, and I'm going to be reading from verse two to about um, verse nine, just so that we can reference it together. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was a very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and of all the firstborn of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these servants shall come down to me and bow down to me saying, get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And most, and that ends that. And then the statement is um, again right there. It says, "And the Lord hardened." That's how it ends that chapter. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. Chapter twelve begins with the the word of the Lord to Israel. So I'm going to read that um, verse twelve, verse three. Um, actually, I'll start with twelve, verse two. This month shall be for you, the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, shall make you your account up for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Okay, and then it goes into how to prepare it and what you should do during um, verses 7 through 12. Um, so I'm going to move to verse 12. You actually, verse 11. In this manner, you shall eat it, and your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. In verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14 reads, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it 
as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Now, number one, okay, it is a statute forever. For those people that are trying to determine for themselves, you know, you know, why is this such a big deal? It is exactly what we were talking about. God, if God brings you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, and he's trying to conform, you know, the, the Bible says, be ye, trans, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind by the virtue of the word itself means it takes, it's a process. And if your mind needs to be renewed and he's already set up prescribed dates within his calendar, that says, you keep this as a statute forever, I would believe that what our mind should be renewed to is not necessarily the why, but why are we not being obedient? Not the why, like what's my bed? What's the end goal for me? It's more so like if I'm following what you've already prescribed and I need, my mind needs to not be conformed to what's normal for human beings, my mind needs to be conformed to what your word says, then my mind should be locating the what you says in the scripture and doing them and then finding out as a result, the das, the awareness of what comes from the obedience of that. What comes to me is not a why, it is not, it's more so the, uh, it's not a why, but it's a what. And oftentimes, you know, again, the scriptures say, the Thomas David says, you know, God, you know, is seeking obedience. You know, he honors obedience. He's looking for the contrite in heart. He's not looking for someone who is wise in their own eyes and is saying that I have freedom of choice. I don't have to follow those things that came up beforehand because it was nailed to the cross. God knew because God is God. He says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he's already ordained that this is a statute forever, I think he knows what forever means. And that is the, the challenge I feel for um, not only the body of believers as believers in Messiah, but it's also for the Jews as well. Because how do we oftentimes hear of what God has done in the world except through the lives of those that we come into contact with. And if there is no difference, there's no aura, there's no you know, lifestyle distinction between you and the world, how would they know who and what the light of God is and the choices that the light of God and the will of God offers if not by you and your representation, you being a real remnant in this earth by following his truth. How would they know? So from the Passover to the, um, the tail end of this, the end of the, the parfat bow, 
what else would you like to add to that, RJ? I think you covered it all right there. I think at the end of the day, going back to the obedience of what was the first thing asked of you. If Pharaoh had just let the people go, he would have seen what was on the other side of that obedience and saved us 10 plagues, many chapters, all of that fun stuff, because he'd have just been obedient from the onset. You just don't know what's on the other side of it. So, all right, these are the instructions, do them. Same thing with the Passover and everything that you just finished reading. I don't quite understand why this has to be a statute forever. I don't quite understand why we need to do this for seven days, but it says to do it. So let's be obedient. And, you know, fast forwarding a little bit to the Mount Sinai experience. That's exactly what the children of Israel commanded. We will do and we will hear. We tried trying to think through it all and rationalize what we should listen to and what we shouldn't. And it got to the point where like, you know what? We ain't that smart. We're just going to follow instructions and then we'll figure out the whys as you show us more. But we're just going to be obedient. And sometimes that's simple. Okay, I'm going to do just what you said. It's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, the, the result of it, of keeping the statute um, that's been appointed, actually is declared. And it's interesting because this line aligns itself heavily with revelations, as I mentioned before. In the book of Revelations, we do have um, a, a series of plagues as well that are released with the seven seals. Um, and then we also have in the book of Revelations um, a designation that is placed on the people, the remnant, and the, that, that it, which is placed on the world. Remember now, during the, the, the foretelling of the Passover, it is stated that the children of Israel will you know, uh, kill the lamb, paint the blood over the doorpost, and that will be a sign. So, so too, in the time of Revelation, there's also a sign that is placed on the children of, of, of the remnant on the earth, the remnant of Israel on the earth. And there is also a sign, which we often hear people just randomly taking out of the scriptures and out of the context of what it's there to do called the mark of the beast that is placed on the children that are outside of the covenant and the, the instructions of Hashem um, called the mark of the beast. And it says that in with the mark of the beast, it, it, it will be like in their right hands, they'll have this sign or it'll be on their forehead or it'll be in their heads of the people. There is also a, a mark according to uh, uh, Exodus chapter 13, verse 16, that is mentioned as well, which is also, well, we know that marks um, in the Hebrew is like the like a, a sign. Um, and uh, the exact Hebrew word right there, I will have to you know, kind of pull up. And if you wanna do so yourself, I suggest um, utilizing like Bible Gateway or Strong Concordant and going to Exodus chapter 13, verse 16. It, in the English it reads, it shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. Wait a second, isn't that from another uh, Torah um, commandment? It shall be, what is the it shall be? It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes. And this specifically here is talking about 
the 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 firstborn um, of all animals and the firstborn of all of, uh, of of mankind's womb that would be redeemed, right? And that there would should it be a process to redeem that firstborn um, because the, the firstborn, as the Lord says, is mine. And the mark that he places of the firstborn is this mark on the hand and it would be from between your eyes. And we know that according to Jewish tradition, this is oftentimes referred to as the tefillah. You're correct, thank you. And the tefillah is a box that normally is used during prayer. And maybe you can explain what it is. Um, what's inside the box, RJ? If I remember correctly, it's a couple of um, portions of Torah. It's used traditionally to keep the word of God on your hand and in between your eyes, like it's written in Deuteronomy. And most um, Orthodox Jews, and I guess other observants that choose to do the same tradition, they wrapped it around their hands and they're on their head in the morning prayer. So then this way they're fulfilling that commandment. And is it not also wrapped around um, the strap goes down to like a finger? Yeah. Okay. And so it also symbolizes like being, you know, what's the right word? Um, married to. Is this also a mark or a symbol of the marriage covenant to a degree? Well, not to a degree specifically, of the body of Israel, the, the, the covenant-keeping Israel to Hashem. Because not only are we now keepers of the word as the mark or the sign, but we've also now used that as the covenant of the marriage itself. And so it is bound around the hands and it, it is necessarily frontlets between their eyes. So this is, this is the means by which we know. This is the means by which people will know too, that we are followers of Hashem. You know, the Bible in the um, Brit Hadashah says, by this they shall know. And they, they refer to it in English as the love that you have one for another. But the love that is referred there is really the scripture, the, the engrafting, the writing of the word of God on your heart that has trained you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And the second of this, the second commandment that is likened unto it, according to Yeshua, which is, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the covenant by which they shall know. And that is what we oftentimes as believers are forgetting in our day-to-day -day walk. It is not just a, uh, I believe statement. It is not just a das or awareness of these options. It is the choice to obey. It is a choice to be covenantly kept by it, to maintain it, that he's looking for. And that's what the world is looking for. And that's the reason that they may not know, but you know. And you should be the light that draws them into awareness of other choices, awareness that there's another way to live. Even if it's outside of the scope of their understanding, they should question the existence of you and be brought into the knowledge of who our God really is. That's the mark. And by this, that's how we will know. And so I, my prayer is that as we collectively come into the come, come see, come talk to Pharaoh, you know, the bow, the call that's been, you know, sent out for us as believers in the world, 
that we remember that there is a world that is, you know, looking literally the physical world itself, the scripture saying in Hadashah is waiting for the true sons of God to appear. It is suffering birth pains, waiting for us to manifest ourselves and the truth of his covenant and his word in us. Um, and so taking the mantle and fully embracing the gift and the callings of God is a natural response for those who have heard the call to come. And that's my prayer, that you too will hear it and will be obedient fully to it. Amen. Amen. As it is our custom, we are going to end our study today with the Etkayim. So as we conclude this podcast episode, we always encourage those that are listening to like, share, subscribe, and continue the dialogue with us. By all means, please feel free to share any of these sessions with anyone within your circle and those that you meet. May we all be enlightened by our studying together and learning of the word. And to reach us, our website is return.rest and email is call to the number two at return.rest. So by all means, send your questions, your comments, your thoughts. Let's see what we can do to keep making this something of great value to each other. And as we close, we will close with the Etzkayim prayer. Etzkayim hi. La Makazikimba Vetum Mekeha Meyushar Devakeha Darke Noam Vekhol Nativo Teka Shalom Hashi Venu Aranai Eleka Venashuba Kadesh Kadesh Yamenu Kadesh Yamenu Kekedem. It is a tree of life to those who take hold of it, and those who support it are praiseworthy. Its ways are ways of pleasantness, and all its paths are peace. Bring us back, Lord, to you, and we shall come. Renew our days as of old. Shalom, y'all.